please join me in the prayer for illumination. Calm us now, O Lord, into a quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. Our scripture today is from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and he proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The word of God for the people of God. So friends, we're walking through Ephesians, right? We started last week. This is our second week. We've got a total of seven. As we walk through this letter, remember I told you this was kind of a a groaner of a letter for preachers. Uh, okay, don't laugh. Um, that, um, that it's written by a student of Paul. It sounds a whole lot like Paul, but most scholars say probably not Paul. And that though it was probably first sent to Ephesus, the church there, it was also probably a circular newsletter that went to all the churches. And we learned last week um, that the letter of Ephesians really moves us from worship, kind of all of these ways of thinking about praise and adoration of God, and moves us towards a life of discipleship. What do we do with all of this praise and adoration that we have for God? And so um, as we gear ourselves up for the fall, as we gear ourselves up for uh, coming back from the pandemic, Right? We want to kind of pay attention to what we do in worship and how it makes a difference in our Monday through Friday life. 
Or to put it differently, how does what we do here on Sunday make any difference to how we are Christians in the world not on Sundays? I had a friend who was uh, uh, appointed to a small rural congregation in another state. Um, He and his wife had a young daughter. She was about four. Um, The congregation they were serving was uh, very rural, and because of that, it tended to be pretty old in terms of average age, and it tended to be pretty Anglo. I mean, sure, there were um, uh, a diverse population in that town, uh, but that town had been separated by the tracks for a while. And that um, Martin Luther King is still quite accurate today as he was in the 60s, Uh, when he said that the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the work week, that in this particular congregation, um, he was able to lead and to grow it to where one of the church leaders was an African-American man. Now, um, he calls me up and says, I've got to make sure that my daughter knows more than one African-American person. And I thought, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard any colleague say to me. I said, there's got to be a story here. And he says, yeah. And so he tells me about how um, there's such great love and care for this man in this congregation that uh, his four-year-old daughter runs and catapults herself into his arms every Sunday morning. His name was Robert. And she would say, hi, Robert, across the sanctuary, or hi, Robert, across the parking lot. And I said, okay, sounds pretty good at this point. And he says, the problem comes when we went uh, to the local metro area, kind of downtown, if you will. Uh, We drove about an hour. We were going to the zoo. We were going to see the sights and do the things. And as we're walking down one of the downtown streets with our daughter in between us, there was a a tall, sharp-looking African-American man walking towards us. And my daughter, in such excitement, catapults herself running forward, screaming, hi, Robert, into his arms. And he said to me, Peter, I've got to make sure my kid knows more than one black person. Do do you hear um, just kind of that struggle and strain? When we read this particular passage, uh, Paul's student, the author of Ephesians, is telling us that in Christ, there is no difference. That in Christ, the walls have been torn down. That we are one in Christ Jesus. That we are part of the same family, part of the same household. That we are on the same team. Now, I want you to think about the world that we live in right now. I mean, we seem to be wired for us versus them. We seem to be wired to be able to find difference between us and others. I mean, um, there have been uh, really interesting psychological uh, tests and uh, research where if you just give one group um, a way to identify themselves against the other, they will compete and compete and compete whether it's the blue eyes against the green eyes, whether it's the tall people versus the short people, you name it, if we're given a difference to rally around, we will rally around so that we will win and the others will lose. 
regardless of what the stakes are. What our scripture passage is sharing with us today is that not only are there no differences between us and them, but that there haven't been for a long time, and that in Christ's body, we have been reconciled into one. So let's take a little bit of context here for a moment, right? Um, If you think about the Old Testament, there is law after law after law that God had given the people of Israel to keep them separate. Why were they separate? Because they were the people of the promise. They were the children of the living God. There needed to be some distinction between us and them. Now, in uh, the language of uh, Greek and Hebrew, um, there is a clear distinction. Um, As the Israelites talk about who they are, children of God, um, they talk about others who are not children of God as goyim, which in the Greek can be translated real literally into trash or uh, garbage, right? This is not a good thing, I'm telling you. Um, But throughout that salvation history, God had been forming a people and keeping them separate. And then Jesus comes and tears down the wall. Now, um, Paul is working hard to help the church recognize the value of people that are outside the tribe. And so uh, in that process of educating, that early church, if you remember, uh, Philip baptizes an Ethiopian eunuch. I'm not going to go into why the eunuch was um, a a eunuch or why he wasn't allowed inside the tribe of Israel. Let's just say say it was complicated. But there in that moment in Acts, um, Philip talking about what it means to be a child of God and the eunuch saying, what's to keep me from being baptized? And Philip says, "Uh, just the lack of water. And the eunuch says, there's a puddle. And before you know it, Uh, this uh, eunuch from uh, Egypt has been baptized in the Spirit. And we get confirmation of the movement of the divine because Philip is whisked away by the Holy Spirit to someplace else. If you continue to read in um, Acts of the Apostles, um, there are a number of people who are just outside the definition of being part of uh, the church. There's Simon the Magician, Um, who also comes to know uh, Jesus. Uh, There are uh, a number of people who really wouldn't in the Old Testament be allowed inside. But here we find the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, reaching out and connecting with others and pulling them in. As we look at our uh, scripture passage today, I want to highlight a couple of particular places, um, specifically uh, verse 12. Uh, Right, so... uh, So the author of Ephesians says, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here, the author of Ephesians is saying, here's how different you are that you're not a Jew. And uh, says four kind of huge things. Uh, One, you are separated from Christ meaning you don't have a savior, um, that you are an alien from the commonwealth of Israel, right? A stranger, a sojourner, someone wandering through the land that isn't going to stay. And then also a stranger to the covenants of promise, meaning that God didn't include you in the promise. And so then the last one, you have no hope 
and you're without God in the world. And then verse 13, uh, the author of Ephesians says, but now in Christ, Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, This uh, whole piece of Ephesians is talking about how we are redeemed, uh, how we are reconciled, how Christ has mediated our sin and our differences and brought us together. Uh, Verse 14, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. I I think it's interesting. How often do we claim Jesus is our peace? I, I really kind of Um, I would have to agree that I often think to myself, he is our peace. We lean into that. You know, when we don't measure up, Jesus is our peace. When we can't pull the outcomes or meet the expectations, Jesus is our peace. When we're not sure what to do as a church or as a Christian, Jesus is our peace. When uh, we come together for worship, but the sanctuary is barely a quarter of the way full, Jesus is our peace. When we're not sure how to connect with our community, um, Jesus is our peace. Because at the end of the day, Jesus will love us, Jesus will comfort us, and Jesus will ensure us that we have a place in eternity. Now, I don't want to say that Jesus isn't comforting us and caring for us, but I think when we say He is our peace— He is the um, way in which we have been reconciled to God, that our sins have been forgiven. We're really talking about a whole lot more than just a Jesus who comforts. We're talking about a Jesus who steps over the line, who, who cares for those who are unloved, who reaches out to the stranger, who goes to the well at the middle of the day because nobody would go to the well at the middle of the day unless you are the woman who is ashamed of your uh, past and your current uh, relationship. Jesus, um, when we say he is our peace, he is our peace because he is willing to lay down his life. He is willing to go the hard steps so that we might be reconciled and pulled together. You know, Jesus is our peace, but we have to recognize that it is through love that he has died on the cross, that it took blood, it took death, it took all that he had to pour out for us so that we might, uh, he might be our peace. I want to go back to the scripture uh, and highlight um, in verse 17, so he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, uh, it's easy to get lulled into the uh, theological um, kind of head ruminations of Ephesians. But I want you to hear verse 18 in that language that it's trying to say. For through him, Jesus, both of us, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. The Greek word there for access is, um, it's the same way you'd talk about um, having um, an influence with a politician. 
It'd be the same as being able to eat with the president. I have access to the president, right? If you could think about all the associations and benefits that would come from being able to have access to political power, that is what uh, verse 18 is talking about. That as Jesus has been the peace for us and has reconciled those differences together within him, he has also allowed us access to the one who created the world, the one who redeems us, and the one who sustains us. In verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. Remember, anytime the NRSV says household of God, it's saying you're part of God's family. You live in the house. You're important. You're a brother or a sister. Whether you believe you warrant it or not, Jesus has made it so. Uh, It's been hard, um, I think, as pastors and churches over the last couple of months, trying to navigate the the coming out of the pandemic, right? Um, Trying to figure out, do we pass the plates yet? Do we still do the little cups for communion? Yes, we do until September. Um, You know, all of these differences related to the pandemic. And one of the ones that's really hard to figure out is how to do greeting, how to welcome people into God's house, how to be those hospitable hosts, right? I think some of you have recognized my discomfort, right? I'm not sure whether we're supposed to hug, uh, whether we're supposed to shake hands or fist bump or just wave or do that like male um, head nod. (laughs) Right? How do you greet people? Now, it's one thing, if I've known you for 10 years, great, I could probably figure out, you know, what is the best welcoming way. But what if I meet someone new? What if somebody walks into God's house and I'm not sure whether to bump, shake, or nod? Well, a friend of mine was telling me about um, that every church has that one greeter that won't stop greeting, right? You, you know who that person is, right? They are all, they're there early and they stay late and, um, you, you know, they start up a, a conversation and they can uh, make connection between two people that you never thought, right? Here comes the mohawk wearing uh, young adult with the leather vest and chains and here comes that greeter uh, ready to make a connection. And before long, they're laughing because, um, you know, his grandmother and uh, her aunt uh, used to uh, work at the same preschool, right? Um, that particular connection. And so um, this one story my friend was telling me was about this very older lady at his congregation that was the greeter. Um, And this young, young man, he is clearly working shift work. He'd just gotten off of shift. He'd come to worship. He'd walked in the door. He knew no one. Uh, And it was, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. And he'd gotten there a half hour early. This is the funny thing, right? Um, Once you join the congregation, you come about 10 minutes late. But before you are comfortable, I'm sorry, was was that too direct? Um, um, But before you join the congregation, if it's your first time, you come 30 minutes early, right? And you're going to sit in that spot because you scoped out exactly where you're going to sit, right? And you think that you're anonymous, But you're not, because you're the only one sitting in the sanctuary 30 minutes ahead of time, right? And so for the course of those 30 minutes, these two who are at the opposite of the age spectrum, who are at the opposite of the work spectrum, who probably have little in common, have become best friends. 
So in this particular church that I'm talking about, they do uh, evening uh, small groups. That's how they do their Sunday school. But there's one Sunday school class um, that is full of older adults um, who don't like to drive at night. And this one woman who's the greeter, she's in charge of that group. And so when this young man was asked, what group does he want to join? He said, I'd really like to join the one that she goes to because he'd been welcomed, because he'd been connected, because someone extended to him the hospitality of being part of the family. And so now for the last six weeks, you you can find in this one particular church, a small group of about eight or nine 70-year-olds and a 25-year-old man who's just come off of his shift work at Dow, and he's just so happy to be part of a group that's learning about Jesus. You know, when we talk about these walls, uh, this us versus them mentality, Jesus is trying to break it down for us. Uh, Ephesians is trying to explain to us how much we have in common with those around us. Um, A few years ago, I was asked to take uh, a group of seminarians to Seattle uh, on a trip to visit seminaries and churches and to learn about the ministries that happen in Seattle. It was really a cushy job. I was like the dorm mom and um, got to enjoy the experience as well. We listened to a number of uh, uh, lecturers from Seattle Pacific University. Uh, There's a Wesleyan seminary that's there. And one particular lecturer began talking to us about um, how a neighborhood changes and sometimes churches don't change with the neighborhood, right? So the the church is primarily wide or middle to upper class, and the neighborhood begins to change in a direction different. And what this lecturer said is that he's gotten so good that he only needs to know one thing about the sanctuary of a church to know whether it is following and pursuing the neighborhood or whether there's a continuing gulf between the neighborhood and the church. you know, I'm thinking, what? I mean, like, I like that cool thing where, like, tell me one thing and I can tell you a whole lot about you, but one thing about the sanctuary? And then I thought to myself, is it the pulpit? Is it screens? Is it a pipe organ? I just couldn't come up with it. Do you know what he said? He says, if all of the windows in the sanctuary are covered with stained glass, chances are the congregation has disconnected from the neighborhood. Instead of looking out the windows and seeing people who are not like them and, um, and wanting to avoid and to hide from the changing neighborhood around them, they spend money to decorate the sanctuary by putting beautiful pictures of heaven and saints and Jesus so they don't have to see a picture of their mission field where Jesus has already made us one, but we still act as if there are walls up around us. So what could you do this week? Having learned about hospitality, having learned about God's house, having learned that God wants to build his home in your heart, what might we do different Monday through Friday? I think Monday through Friday, we could do a good job of acting as if people are brother and sister. And if they're not acting very brotherly and sisterly, what might it be like for us to wonder why are they not acting brotherly and sisterly? to find a way to extend common courtesies just at a minimum, and if better, maybe to heap upon others grace upon grace. I've often believed that when people are cranky or difficult, it's not because they were born that way. It's probably because something hasn't gone well that day. So what is it like for you to be part 
of something that might go well for them that day. To reach out to those who are hungry, uh, to care for those who are uh, homeless, uh, to care for those who are hopeless, to reach out and to spread some joy and care and confidence. Because everyone you meet this week will be a brother or sister. Jesus has already made them part of the community. The ways in which we see us versus them are only the ways in which we put stained glass up to keep us from seeing our neighbor because it's too painful to figure out how to allow Jesus to be our peace and reach out to our neighbor. I think for me, one of the most power, hey, thank you. Um, I think one of the most powerful things um, that really fueled my ministry was the opportunity in college to go to the National Student Forum in Chicago. Um, I was a late registration, and so I got whatever the uh, breakout groups were. The National Student Forum was when they gathered together United Methodist college students to learn, grow, worship, and then to help make decisions for the rest of the denomination. But while I was there, I participated in um, a uh, breakout group on racism. And some of you have heard me say this story before. It's an important um, uh, fuel for my fire. Um, I found myself sitting in the back of a huge convention center room. Uh, uh, we'd heard uh, um, speeches about diversity, and we've heard uh, tips and tricks about how to do cross-cultural ministry. And um, we were invited to pair up with someone who didn't look like us. And so I sat next to Paul, who was a young man from the south side of Chicago. He had um, rode the red line uh, to get to the convention center. Um, here I was, a kid who'd grown up in the woodlands and, you know, took a flight to get to Chicago from Texas. As we sat there, um, we were, uh, everyone was asked to turn and sit face to face to reach out and grab the hands of the person in front of us and with permission to take turns to touch each of, our, uh, each of us touching the other's hair, uh, each of us touching the sides of our faces and with permission uh, to reach out and touch their face. And so as a kid from the woodlands who had had uh, very little um, encounter with anybody who wasn't, you know, shiny and happy, it seems like that's the definition for living in the suburbs, um, I was amazed to find that Paul's hair felt like mine, that his head um, uh, felt like mine, that his um, face and his smile uh, felt warm to the touch, and that I had found a brother in Christ traveling from Texas to Chicago. When we say that Jesus is our peace, it's not that we can sit back and relax in our comfortable sanctuary, but when we say that Jesus is our peace, it's that he has waged the war, he has uh, torn down the walls, he has made us into family, and all we need to do is to start realizing that the walls are down, and that we could love others as Jesus has loved us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.